I got the opportunity to to dust off my pen testing <laughs> skills a little bit, open up the Metasploice framework, do some customization, and w- what was shown was uh, a bit of my own technical artwork for the show, <laughs> which uh, which was pretty cool. Hello, friend. You're listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's Mr. Robot podcast. This week, season two is back. We'll talk about that two-part premiere, so be warned, minor spoilers ahead. And then, Director of Cybersecurity at Tanium and the show's FBI consultant, Mr. Andre McGregor, joins us. He'll be talking about that hack you saw last night and what it's like to pen test for Sam Esmail. Ars Technica's Nathan Matthijs here. Thanks for joining us on this week's Decrypted. Now, if you're not familiar with Ars Technica for some reason, we aren't a site that regularly covers television. But as TV has increasingly adopted themes of technology, hacking, science, and other fields we follow closely, we've taken up more of an interest. Plus, I mean, who doesn't like some good sci-fi? Cold, brutal shit right there. Anyway, we obviously follow Mr. Robot Season 2, and so for this two-part premiere, I wrote a long review that you can find at the site, ArsTechnica.com. That'll cover a lot of what is carrying over plot-wise from Season 1, some of the new beginnings we want to follow as Season 2 progresses, and a little bit of minutia, like the brilliant camera shots and the tech depictions that take place this week. We are by no means a TV recap site, though, so that kind of TV criticism and review may end up on the podcast in future weeks. This week, however, I want to touch upon something that I didn't get a chance to go in too much depth about. There's this one episode where they go to this Chinese restaurant, and they're just waiting for a table the entire time. Like, they don't even eat at the end, bro. He just discovered Seinfeld. Maybe I'm overthinking it, though. Ben talks way too much about it. Every good television drama, at least the ones that want to last for a while, needs balance. That voice is Elliot's new friend, or at least new to us, Leon, played by New York City rapper Joey Badass. In the season two premiere, Leon shows just how vital some comic relief can be in the middle of what's otherwise a pretty stressful and dark world. Like, maybe that's the show's point. That shit is just pointless, you know? Like, life, love and the meanings therein. Now, Mr. Robot is by no means the first very well-executed cable drama to do this. Mad Men had the tightly wound Pete Campbell, who would fall down the steps or yell at Bob Benson, or the show had Peggy Olsen, who entered her new swanky Manhattan office space when she was hungover and still had a cigarette dangling from her mouth. Breaking Bad had the bumbling Saul Goodman, and he later became beloved enough to spin off into his own show where he invents fetishes like the Squat Cobbler. Look it up if you don't know what I mean. French toast. Coming up. I think this all just gets back to what NPR TV critic Eric Deggins told us in last week's podcast. For a show to really feel, well, real, it needs the elements of reality. We were specifically talking about how seriously Mr. Robot takes technology depictions, but the same goes if you want to present a full spectrum of emotion. That is to say, if Elliot and his colleagues are brooding anarchists all the time, viewers don't want to spend time with them in the first place. And second, we won't buy it when surprises happen that run counter to that dug-in emotion. So the easiest solution, and certainly the most enjoyable, in the name of reality and well-done entertaining drama, his name is Leon. And then there's this one where they're stuck in a garage the whole time. Like, what? 
That's not a TV show, bro. Where's the story? It just makes no sense. Now, besides the Seinfeld shtick, which admittedly is hilarious and the internet will love, there are two important elements to Leon that appear to make this an effective character going forward. The first is, Leon himself is not the joke. Uh, He's treated as a fully rounded human being, someone who can experience emotion and has original thought. As we see later, he stands up to the guys at the basketball court when they confront Elliot and he, and he reflects on life deeply when considering the nihilist tendencies of Seinfeld. Leon's potentially rounded personality definitely aligns with what the show has shown us in season one, where it did extremely well to treat what we thought were background characters as fully formed human beings eventually, the diverse cast of F Society being a prime example. The second thing about Leon that will likely make him an effective character, admittedly, it hasn't happened yet. But Mr. Robot has a great track record of incorporating people you don't expect into the main plot lines in very significant ways. I'm thinking specifically of two people in season one, Fernando Vera, who was the (laughs) drug dealer that ended up in prison, and spoiler alert, he comes back. And secondly, I'm thinking of Cisco the hacker who we meet initially as just some dude posing on the street selling CDs, but he ends up being F-Society's contact in the Dark Army and a pivotal person throughout Season 1. And now you're going to talk about this in the world? There's no telling if Leon will have that kind of impact, but based on the show's history, it's safe to say he's going to be more than Seinfeld quips as we move forward. Yeah, man, that Kramer dude, I knew him in real life. I knocked his ass out. So... One of the joys of a new season is meeting new players in the game and seeing where they might take us. I, for one, welcome Leon, and I am super, super awaiting his thoughts on the Merv Griffin episode. Up next on Decrypted, our interview with Mr. Robot's FBI consultant, Andre McGregor. But first... Word from our corporate overlords! Steel Mountain's data center. Our facility meets diamond specifications and features a tier 10 certified build and design, providing you with a safe, rock-solid fortress for your data needs. If you follow cybersecurity news, you might recognize the name Tanium. The show's executives, for instance, appear on television quite often to talk about the latest happenings. If you follow Mr. Robot, you might also recognize the name Tanium, and that's because some of the company's executives help Mr. Robot as consultants, and they appeared in the show's Decoded documentary, talking about how realistic the portrayals of hacking are. In Season 2, as you might expect given the dramatic fallout from the E-Corp hack, the FBI gets involved. And if you want to depict the FBI realistically, you need, well, a former FBI man. Enter Tanium's Andre McGregor. He started his career in IT before being swayed into the FBI, where he worked in the New York City office, combating some of the biggest and most well-known hacks of the last decade. I'll let Andre actually tell the story himself, but for now, he is the Season 2 FBI consultant for Mr. Robot, and he was kind enough to join us on this week's Decrypted. Joining me this week, we've got Andre McGregor, Director of Cybersecurity at Tanium. Andre, thanks for taking some time out of your day and joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is a great time to be in cybersecurity, and now with Mr. Robot, it's uh, even more exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine you've got an exciting dozen or so weeks ahead here. 
So, Andre, you are working on season two as an advisor. Can you tell me a little bit first, before we get into that, your background? Uh, I understand you started working in IT, but then you got into the FBI. So was cybersecurity in terms of focusing on security and hacking always an area of interest for you? Or did that develop as you were kind of going through your early career in IT? Uh, admittingly, it, it came about with, within my time at the FBI. So I, I was in IT, and I had the opportunity to be an engineer at uh, Goldman and then uh, IT director at Cardinal Health and Advigent. And uh, it wasn't until the Bureau recruited me to, to come over to the academy, and they, they taught me to take a punch and mm-hmm. arrest people and shoot a gun. And then they said, hey, let's go find some bad people that are, are hacking. And uh, I got to form a... A national security cyber squad with some of my uh, uh, other peers and we started working China, Russia, and Iran as our major threat countries and that was the time when you had the financial DDoSing and you had Iran hacking into the water dam and you had China exfiltrating data and the Russians doing really cool stuff that I can't talk about. <laughs> uh, that I really started to take an interest in the fact that we are completely exposed as a country and we, we don't have the mechanisms in place to, to really protect them the way that, that we should. So, I mean, plenty of things you can draw upon in your professional experience when it comes to creating fictional cybersecurity problems. Um, but when you were at the FBI, did it ever occur to you that, hey, one day I might be advising a television show talking about their depictions of this stuff? When did uh, that come about and how did that come about? Uh, not at all. So, um, you know, it was a, a good opportunity where uh, my, my boss, uh, Dave D'Amato, is our chief security officer, was uh, talking to Sam Esmail, the, the creator at uh, CES in Vegas, and he needed a uh, FBI consultant to answer some questions and I got put I, I, I got asked to help and it was nice and kind of refreshing because Sam is very much about accuracy so um, he did not want to do or say anything that was not actually what the what would be done in the field either by agents or be being done in terms of a response for a cybersecurity attack mm-hmm. and and you have to think that as this show, uh, progresses, um, you know, such an attack would warrant a response from the government, especially if you saw the first episode that was released on Sunday, you know, the president is talking about how big this is of, a, of an attack there is, and the fact that something needs to be done is exactly the way our government operates today. When there's a big intrusion, we need a response team, and uh, getting to work on set and being able to say, this is how we should do things, this is how we should say things, this is how the script should be written was uh, not expected when I left the FBI Academy, <laughs> but definitely really cool now that I got to be involved. I mean, is this something that Tanium does often, you know, get contacted by Hollywood types, or was this really just a, a perfect chance meeting, you know, because Sam Eshmael was at CES, a place where you can actually find the experts in this field? Um, Tanium actually gets contacted a fair bit, and I think it's because we've had the opportunity to really bring in a solid set of uh, instant responders into uh, how we how we develop our product. And so we jokingly say that we have one of the strongest instant response teams that actually does not do instant response because between myself. Uh, my old partner, Jason Troopy, who was at the FBI with me, we brought over many guys from FireEye Mandiant as, as well as from US CERT. 
uh, pretty much in the last six years, someone on the team has touched every major intrusion that's happened uh, in the U.S. and in many parts of the world. So when it comes down to identifying who would be able to speak to uh, a specific incident, there's probably someone at Tanium that has direct knowledge of an event. Great. Well, I, I want to get to some of the work you've done, at least you know, we've, on this first episode of season two. But first, I know you said you've watched season one. Can you talk a little bit about what you what your perceptions of the show were from season one and how they handled some of the things you've talked about? You know, we see the Dark Army, which is a Chinese-based hacking entity that comes into play. Uh, we see things such as the big Steel Mountain hack, where they go through the thermostat. Um, the show does a great job when it comes to social engineering and showing how much research has to go into this. So what were your perceptions of season one uh, in terms of how accurate you thought it was or how engaging you found it to be? It's funny because I'm, I'm smiling right now as you speak when you said the Dark Army because uh, I lived and breathed uh, China for <laughs> such a long time that uh, you know it, it was uh, very much uh, interesting to see it on, te- on television and uh, really watching the show like Mr. Robot and you, you juxtapose it with something like CSI Cyber and you say, finally, <laughs> a show that is reflective of the work that I do and the, the you know, intricacies of, of hacking. It's not something, in, in many ways, it's easy to do. Sure, I can use Metasploit and create a package and be able to exploit a computer and, and gain access. But in many ways, it's very complicated and it's not something that is easy to show on television. So to, to watch the the different scenes that were in season one, uh, everything from you know the Raspberry Pi, Steel Mountain side, all the way to you know just being able to spearfish someone's email and and read and understand who they are as a person is exactly what I lived and breathed every day at the FBI. You know, you're looking at very complicated hacks, things that we would never be able to talk about outside of skipped environments. And then you're looking at things very simple, just a, you know, a spear phishing email that gives me access to the machine and I can learn everything about a person and I can use that to exploit them or pivot and exploit somebody else. And to see the show you know, be able to visualize that in a way that, that the viewer is able to understand a world that I've been playing in. <laughs> so you, you, have to take, you have to look at season one and say, uh, we finally were able to make it so that hacking is sexy. <laughs> it's good to hear that you you were into the show and it wasn't some type of stressful experience to kind of relive a few of the things you had to do in your day job. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I will say, you know, there there were some stressful moments, especially I was a I was an agent in New York City and and New York City is always the target whether it's for, you know, cyber intrusions or terrorism, there's always work to be done and um, you know, there was never a quiet day working in New York as an FBI agent and you know, there were times that I had a hard time sleeping, and uh, you know, so I, I do remember those those times, and the the show just sort of uh, relives some of that because this is art imitating life. I mean, there is the capability of uh, of you know a bunch of people to be able to take down a large enterprise and do it in a way that affects people day in and day out, where they have no recourse, they have no way to to resolve the problem that's happening to them. Let's talk about something a little bit less stressful for you. My understanding is in the season two premiere, you finally got to flex your writing chops. Can you tell me a little bit about your contributions to this episode? So we wanted to do 
uh, a major hack, which uh, was shown in, in episode one uh, that affected uh, Bank of E. And we were discussing the ideas, and one of the ideas that we came up with was to do ransomware because it's very topical. Obviously, it's an issue that's uh, impacting a lot of businesses today. And I got the opportunity to, to dust off my pen testing <laughs> skills a little bit, uh, uh, open up the Metasploice framework, uh, do some customization, and uh, essentially the, uh, w- what was shown was uh, a bit of my own uh, technical artwork for the show, <laughs> which, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, what, was, what was great, though, uh, just a little bit of backstory, was we, that, was not the in, that was not the original hack that we had decided. We had decided a completely different direction. And as we were starting to uh, actually pull back the onion to say, okay, what systems would we need to compromise? How would we actually you know, spread and laterally move around the systems and, and compromise? We realized that we ran into uh, a hiccup where we wouldn't be able to get into one of the systems easily. And Sam said, well, if we can't do it, we can't do it. So we're not going to try to make it work or pretend that it works or use, you know, um, art magic to, to do it. We're going to have to rewrite everything. So it was last minute working with, uh, with Coradana, uh, coming up with a, a brand new hack within, you know, an hour after being told <laughs> What we had worked on for a while and were prepared to do uh, had to be rewritten. Oh, that's great! So, I mean, you had to put on your whitest of black hats and figure out if this thing would work. But unexpected hiccup—the security actually pulled through this time. <laughs> right, and it, it's, I always found it interesting because uh, you know, even uh, countless amount of training that I had at the FBI, countless amount of you know knowledge I had from my time in private in IT. And it wasn't until I took my first pen testing course as an agent and I, I had that aha moment, which was, wow, it is as easy as I've been investigating. I've been reading in, in uh, threat intelligence and responding to incidents. It is as easy as, you know, using Metasploit and using some other tools to be able to create my own exploits. And if it's uh, easy enough for me to do and I have limited time to be able to come up with ideas like this, the bad guy has all the time in the world to be able to get exactly what they're hoping to get out of their objective with with whatever they're designing. Oh, it, it's, it is completely scary. When you read, some, I mean, Ars Technica is a site that covers a lot of it. As soon as I saw that, I thought about all of the uh, crypto ransomware attacks on hospitals earlier in the year. Very, very topical. Um, you know, it's one of those things where ransomware is not very complicated, but it works. And the business decision becomes a lot easier when the price is right. And, you know, you're going to see a lot, a lot more cats that are going to be, be using tools like this to be able to, to compromise uh, enterprises. I, I mean, I think that they make the joke that they can find $5 million in the couch cushions at E-Corp. <laughs> I'm sure there are real companies that feel the same way sometimes. It, it is that, that, that question of how, how much do I want to pay? But the other side of it, too, and that's where, you know, coming over to Tatium helps me to, to really see that there's an answer is to say, well, if there's a way that we can just raise the cyber hygiene of our environments, if we can remove old versions of Flash and Java, update CV, you know, uh, CVs that um, you know, might be in our environment that uh, would easily make us not a target anymore. And then the bad guy would go to the next the, the the next enterprise that's that's what we need to do and so when you look at ransomware it's something simple 
and it's easy to fix, but it's it's a hard conversation that a lot of companies are having. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you're a busy man, but two last quick questions for you, if you don't mind. The the first one, simply, I know you said you know you got to see the art of your work on the screen. Are, are you screen capturing uh, lines of code uh, like a lot of the internet likes to do for Mr. Robot? You know, will you be uh, saving a little bit of your work through that mechanism? I, I I hadn't thought about it until right now. I'm smiling. I, I want to capture some of the the, the the code that's there and maybe you know put it on Twitter or something. I, I don't know. The other nice part of it too is uh, they they did write me into season two, <laughs> and so <laughs> I do have a character named Andre and J. Alphonse Nicholson um, named after me. Uh, nice guy, and so uh, hopefully. Um, portrayed very well, which I'm sure, sure everyone will think, that, think so. Certainly be keeping our eyes out for it. Um, and then the, the last question I want to ask you, you know, so you said you guys had to switch gears and, and go into the crypto ransomware mechanism when your pen testing was finished. Does that come from the writing team or is it kind of a collaborative process between you as the advisor uh, and the writing team? So the the entire process has been uh, a, a very fun process because it sort of it starts out with the writers' room and the writers um, you know they they meet together and it's just a bunch of couches and a dozen of them just you know storyboarding ideas back and forth and this starts in October um, I didn't even I didn't get involved until January so they're already you know well into script development and uh, you get the opportunity to come to the writers room and then they just start bouncing ideas and questions off and say well what about this direction or what could be done here what do you think about this idea and so it's just you know having a conversation with with a dozen people about the direction of where the show and the episode should go and now that the framework was there the scripts are developed and and you, I got the opportunity to, to plug in ideas of where um, to, to sort of take the direction of, of at least what I thought would be good for the accuracy of the show mm-hmm. and specifically with this particular hack in episode one everything was done it was in place and it wasn't until it was the time where I, I actually had to come up with the technical um, screenshots for doing the hack that I realized that it wasn't feasible. <laughs> and it was a, uh, oh my God, emergency situation. What is the, what's the change going to be? Uh, Core took the idea, pitched it to Sam. Sam said, awesome, make it happen right, right away. And uh, that's what you got on, on episode one. Look, I mean, gymnastics from you right away on, on the first episode <laughs> of season two. So I look yeah. forward to seeing what's coming for the rest of the season, if that's just for starters. No, you're, you're going to see a couple of really cool hacks. So I was able to recruit our chief security architect, Ryan Kazansian, um, to, to come and help me a little bit as well. And he wrote a couple hacks that you'll see down the, down the line as well in, in season two. Uh, I think you'll be very impressed. Awesome. Well, Andre, I really appreciate your time. Hopefully we can connect again as the season goes on, because I'd love to follow your character and maybe talk through some more of these hacks. But thanks again for joining us today. No, thank you. And uh, I look forward to um, some of the uh, interesting directions that the season will take and then your perspective (laughs) on what you think about uh, what we're showing on TV. Oh, our our readers and certainly me, we will be watching closely. No doubt about it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Andre. That's it for this week's Decrypted. 
tuning in again next week as we'll cover episode three of Mr. Robot season two. And, you know, maybe we'll learn where Tyrell Wellick is. Make sure you're following Decrypted wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or directly through RSS. If you got questions, comments, or thoughts, feel free to reach out to us, either through the Ars Technica forums or via email, social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot in the subject line. Thanks again to Andre McGregor, the Director of Cybersecurity at Tanium and an FBI consultant on Season 2 of Mr. Robot. He joined us via Skype. And thanks, as always, to the Audio Network for providing us with all the musical cues. Until next time, keep your 20. I'll just go to Best Buy from now on.